Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. And I'll be reading from the ESV. While you're turning there, let me just say that it's a, it's a pleasure and it's a blessing to be able to worship with you all this morning. And I bring affectionate greetings from Christ Reformed Baptist Church down in Escondido. So Psalm 46, hear now the reading of God's holy, infallible word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the reading of God's holy word. Uh, Let's pray once again and ask for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us this morning through your word. Lord, in your wisdom, you have seen fit to reveal your truth to us through all kinds of genre, even through poetry. And we pray, Lord, that this morning you would help us to understand uh, this psalm, this poem. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, that we might be like the psalmist who finds ultimate security, refuge, and confidence in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uncertainty. Our world is full of uncertainty and instability. We never quite know what trial or trouble might be around the corner. We fear the unknown and we all long to have certainty and comfort and security against our greatest fears. Well, who or what do you look to for comfort, for refuge? In times of trouble. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This is an expression of confidence in the midst of troubles and trials and the the chaos of uncertainty. And so the psalm teaches that in the midst of the trials and troubles of this life, you as a believer can have confidence in God, that he is with you. For it is only in him that you will find ultimate and lasting security and comfort. Now the beauty of the Psalms is that they don't simply tell us, uh, trust in God because he's trustworthy. Rather, uh, the psalmist uses poetic style and imagery and metaphors and all kinds of uh, techniques to, to get us thinking and to get us feeling. 
The Psalms, as one theologian put it, stimulate our imagination, arouse our emotions, appeals to our wills. He says the Psalms touch the very core of our being. And the primary image that dominates Psalm 46 is how God is like a mighty fortress. And so through this this image of God as a fortress, the psalmist teaches us that we can look to the the character and the works of God for, for comfort and assurance. Because it is on the basis of who God is and what he has done for his people in the past uh, that we as his people today can trust in him for uh, future uh, provision and safety. This psalm is divided up into three stanzas, uh, verses 1 to 3, verses 4 to 7, and verses 8 to 11. So firstly, we will see how God is our mighty fortress. Secondly, how God is our sustaining fortress. And thirdly, how God is our victorious fortress. So firstly, God is our mighty fortress. First one is a statement of confidence. The psalmist resolves to trust in the promise that God is our refuge and strength. And the confidence of this statement is one of great trouble. It's likely that this psalm was written prior to an enemy invasion of Israel and the city of Jerusalem itself was under threat from this foreign army. And so he resolves not to fear, but to trust in God, who is his fortress and strength. We live in a troubled world. Both believers and unbelievers both live in this same sin-cursed world and we both toil under this same sun all the days of our lives. In fact, the psalmist makes clear that even God's covenant people are not excluded from the, the trials and the troubles of this life. He describes the troubles of this world in the most vivid and exaggerated language possible. He writes in verses 2 and 3, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So he's using this language that sounds like this great, just earth-shattering, cataclysmic event. Though the earth gives way, it's like the ground is disappearing from under his feet. All stability is removed. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, so even these mighty mountains are crumbling into the sea. Now, in the uh, mindset of the Israelite, mountains were very important. Israel depended on mountains for security from foreign enemies. Um, and Jerusalem itself was built on a mountain range. And so mountains were considered dependable, steadfast, immovable, unchanging. If anything in creation was dependable, it was these mount- mighty mountains And yet the psalmist paints a picture where even these mountains that Israel depended upon are just crumbling and falling into the sea. And so that all that you think is safe and secure and dependable can in a moment be swept away. Its waters roar and foam. So the ocean is roaring, foaming, uh, devouring all before it. This imagery uh, causes one to recollect the world before it was ordered by God, the waters, or even the flood narrative in Genesis 6, causes one to wonder, uh, where is God in all of this? Where is his order? Where is his uh, providence in all of this? In everything falling apart? Well, friends, 
Have you ever felt this way? Has there been a time in your life where everything feels like it's falling apart? You feel like the earth, the ground is giving way under your feet. Everything is going wrong. Something so terrible has happened and inconceivable that your world is is shattering. The mountains are are falling into the sea. Uh, The sea is, is, is just eroding the land in your life. Well, in the face of all of this imagined chaos, the psalmist resolves that even if all of this were to happen, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. God is our refuge, a place of security from our enemies, a place of deliverance from affliction, and a place of security in the midst of troubles. God is a mighty fortress in whom we have deliverance. Well, I've been uh, living in the States now for three years with my wife, and it was uh, just this past 4th of July that uh, we moved from Ireland to, to California. And it's only as I've left Ireland and I'm now living in the States that I realized the privilege I had of living in a land of castles. Uh, so if you've ever been to Ireland, uh, you, you'll, you'll realize or you'll see that Ireland is just full of castles everywhere. As you're driving through the countryside, there's just so many ruins of, of castles and uh, many of them are still standing today. And uh, you might see this a tower in a field and there's sheep grazing all around it. Uh, these uh, castles are everywhere. Um, it was only 20 minutes from where I grew up, there was this, this strong castle, Black Rock Castle. But the fact that so many of them are, are still standing today in large part uh, is testimony to the, the care uh, that went into their building and that they're so, so durable. Uh, in times of trouble, when an enemy army was invading, uh, the, the villagers that lived outside the castle would, could come in. They could come into the tower or the fortress and, and find deliverance from their enemies. Uh, they might also take in their livestock. And unless the enemy army had powerful siege equipment, uh, everyone would be safe within this, this castle or tower. And so the, the castle or the, the fortress presented in, in this psalm is a place of refuge where people can, can run to and be safe. Well, friends, in the face of trouble, uh, what is your refuge? What is your fortress? Where do you turn to in those difficult times when your world begins to fall apart? All of us look to refuge uh, somewhere. Uh, Some of us look to the mountains of life, the things that seem so dependable, uh, steadfast, so certain. Are there mountains in your life that you look to uh, as that place of ultimate refuge and security against troubles? For some, uh, that mountain might be financial security. Now, it's good to to work hard, to save our money, to invest, to to build up um, heritage to be able to pass on to our children. Uh, But finances and financial security cannot be our ultimate refuge when trouble strikes. It's all too easy to look to uh, finances uh, as as a means of of ultimate security from times of trouble. Now, some troubles can be easier when we are financially secure. But the psalmist is painting a picture here, not of minor troubles that we can resolve with the writing of a check. He's presenting uh, troubles where everything is falling apart. Everything that is dependable, that you think is stable, suddenly becomes uh, instable and it falls apart. And so financial 
uh, or even job security cannot be your ultimate refuge because even these seemingly immovable mountains might just crumble and fall into the sea. Something terrible might happen uh, where you lose all of your money through uh, the collapse of a financial institution, through medical expenses, through a lawsuit that's completely outside of your control. Floods, hurricanes, fires and in California earthquakes uh, can literally destroy your property, uh, rendering it valueless. An accident or an illness might leave you unable to work uh, that, that job, that dream job that you have. And so where uh, do you turn for refuge then in those times? Is there refuge uh, at such times? Well, the kind of confidence that God, through the psalmist, is calling you to this morning is a certain hope and a certain confidence in God in the face of the most unimaginable of troubles. What is your greatest fear? This is what the psalmist is, is calling, you to, calling you to imagine, your, your greatest fear. Personally, I couldn't imagine the pain and the grief of losing one of my children. I mean, that, that would destroy my world. That would be my mountains crumbling into the sea and everything falling apart and the ground disappearing from underneath my feet. The pain of losing a loved one. And I'm sure some of you here have even had to work through that kind of pain of losing a loved one. And yet scripture teaches that even then, even in the most unimaginable of circumstances, when we are completely hopeless and despairing of our circumstances, even then God is our refuge and strength. Even then, God is with his people. When the world is in utter chaos and it seems like everything is falling apart and that we will be utterly destroyed by our circumstances, even then, friends, there is hope and it is not found in, in the mountains of life. It is not found in the, the land or in the sea. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, because of this, we will not fear. Well, secondly, God is our sustaining. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a very noticeable and abrupt shift that occurs from verse 3 to verse 4. The first stanza ends describing utter chaos, as we saw. Images are evoked of these uncontrolled, chaotic waters uh, foaming, devouring all before it. And then verse 4 reads, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So we have this uh, abrupt shift from chaotic, uncontrolled waters to uh, peaceful, calm waters. In the midst of this city of God, there is this life-giving stream uh, that, that flows and its streams lead to joy and peace. And many commentators see this stream flowing from the river in the city as an echo of the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there were many streams flowing from it. Eden was a place of paradise, of life, sustenance. And so similarly, this city is presented as a place of sustenance, a place of life and safety, a paradise in an untamed and barren land. The city of God is a reference to Jerusalem, and God's holy habitation is a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. He continues in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. 
She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So the psalmist is confident of deliverance and security inside this fortress because God is in her midst. God is the source of this this life-giving river which will sustain those who take refuge inside the fortress. Uh, Both in medieval times and also in ancient times, uh, as we we, uh, mentioned earlier, in times of trouble when an enemy army would come, uh, people would, would flock to this a place of refuge inside the walls to be protected against an enemy army. Um, And what was very important for a city like this is that they have food supplies and water because what the enemy army would try to do is cut off uh, water supplies, cut off food so the people would starve uh, and they'd ultimately have to, to surrender and give up. So having a river or some kind of source of water within a fortress was vital for the defender's survival. And so having this source could mean meant that they could hold out for much longer. And so the psalmist presents God as this source of sustainment for those uh, f- uh, flocking within the, the fortress in the midst of this, this terrible uh, siege warfare. So while the attackers rage and battle outside of the walls, God's people are safe within and they're supplied with every grace necessary. Because God is in her midst, the psalmist is confident of deliverance which he says will come when morning dawns. Now it's interesting this, this uh, phrase, when morning dawns, uh, because we see that God often brings re- uh, redemption and deliverance in the morning throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 30 says that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In Exodus 14, God led his people out of Egypt and the Egyptian army followed after them. Uh, God uh, opened the the, the sea, the Israelites passed through, and then the Egyptian army went in, and God uh, threw the army into chaos and closed the water on the Egyptians and killed them all. And all of this is said to happen in the morning. God's presence was with his people, and he delivered them in the morning. And also there were a number of times where the city of Jerusalem itself came under attack, and it was miraculously protected by God. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came to um, Israel with the, the expressed purpose of besieging and capturing their cities. And so when he turns his, his gaze at Jerusalem, uh, Hezekiah and Isaiah pray to God for deliverance. And so God sends an angel into Sennacherib's camp and uh, slays all of their mighty men and, and their officers so that Sennacherib's army is just completely disorganized and he's forced to return back to Assyria and, uh, and Jerusalem is spared. And in Isaiah's account of this in chapter 37, we read that the people arose early in the morning and they saw all of the dead bodies of the Assyrians whom the angel of the Lord had slain. So again, we see this miraculous deliverance that comes in the morning. So it's likely here the psalmist is calling us to remember all of the past deliverances of God, how God has delivered his people um, in these these various ways and so that we can also have confidence in him and trust in in future deliverance. There's a contrast then in verse 2 where the mountains are moved into the heart of of the sea and then verse 5 which says that the city will not be moved. So even uh, this uh, cataclysmic event or an enemy army invading cannot move the city 
because God is in her midst. For the city to be moved or destroyed, the God of all creation would have to be destroyed because he is in her midst. It cannot fall while he is with his people. We see that God is absolute in his power over all that is under him. He has the final word. Verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, how does imagery of fortresses and cities and rivers relate to us as New Testament believers? Well, Jerusalem was God's holy city where he was pleased to dwell with his people. And the New Testament city of God is the church. Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3 reads, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The parallels between Revelation chapter 21 and Psalm 46 are are quite striking. We, the church who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, uh, make up the city of God. Jerusalem was that physical shadow of a greater uh, Jerusalem. And so the church that is spiritual and knows no boundaries is this new city of God. And whenever uh, churches gather, like us this morning, in the name of Christ, uh, the city of God is represented. And we have the promise that God is in our midst. What about the river? Ezekiel 47 speaks of how the new temple will have a river flowing from it. It's described as this life-giving river, and wherever it flows, uh, vegetation and life just springs up. And in the New Testament, we see that Christ is this source uh, of of this life-giving river. In John 4, he tells the woman at the well that he has living water. And this uh, word for living uh, water uh, has has a double meaning in in that from from him flows uh, living water. But it's also the concept of running water, like like a stream or, or a river. And of course, in Revelation 22, the picture is presented of, of unending streams flowing from the throne and from the Lamb. Uh, and these streams result in, in peace and joy and life. Christ is the source of this life-giving stream that flows in the midst of his people. The Apostle Peter says that through Christ, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. Through Christ, we have every spiritual blessing, all that we need to sustain us through life's trials, through life's difficulties. In the Psalms, we're told how God dwells with his people in the temple and in Jerusalem. And this is more uh, fully realized for us as we see Christ has come and tabernacled among us so that we can say that God is with us in an even more intimate and realized sense than the psalmist. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. We have the promise this morning that God is is with his people. He's present in a special way. Those who have faith in Christ are said to be united to him and have the promised Holy Spirit. As we gather for corporate worship, we have the promise that God speaks to us through his word, through his herald to his beloved bride. 
and so that he is with us both in word and sacrament. Uh, later on, we'll be taking the supper, and Paul calls the supper uh, the cup of blessing, because through it, uh, we are blessed, we are in, enriched, we have a sweet fellowship uh, with one another, but also, but also with Christ, who is spiritually present among us. Through these means, he promises to supply your every need, so that we say, yes, uh, troubles ab- abound, but his grace is sufficient. He is truly the fount of every blessing. When trouble strikes, uh, so often we are tempted to find our own refuge, uh, our own sustaining river. We try to suppress and numb the pain of our circumstances and by looking to our own inventions. Where do you look to for sustainment in times of trials? For some, that might be looking to a substance abuse. For others, that might be indulging in particular sins as a means of comforting ourselves. When trouble strikes, where can comfort be found? Where is God in the death of a loved one or a miscarriage? Where is God when our loved ones or ourselves are, are diagnosed with these life-threatening illnesses? Well, friends, you have the promise that God is in the midst of his people. Even now, God is with us. Through his word, he comforts us and reminds us of the great covenantal blessing that he is our God and we are his people. Remember, uh, earlier in the call to worship, uh, we did not invite him into our presence. Rather, he invited us, he called us into his presence. And as we gather in his presence, he calls us to open our hearts before him. You know, the time of worship is not only a time uh, like we see in many churches where it's happy clappy, but it's a time to open our hearts before God, to uh, cast all our cares on him. It isn't wrong for us to go to God with our doubts, our fears, even our anger and frustration with our circumstances. Because as we gather in his presence, he meets us. And he lovingly hears our prayers because he loves us through Christ. And he sends forth his word to replace uh, fear with assurance, anxiety with peace, and to sustain us in all of our troubles. And though it often takes time for his word, uh, when we hear it, to to take effect in us, uh, as we meditate on who God is and what he has done for his people, uh, we can, like the psalmist, also find have confidence in him and, and find God as that place of refuge. God is our sustaining fortress in a barren and hostile world. Well, thirdly, God is our victorious fortress. The third stanza depicts God as this victorious warrior or general who has defeated his enemies. It opens in verse 8 with an invitation to, to come and behold the works of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. It's actually very similar to the account of uh, the, the siege of Jerusalem in Second Chronicles and Isaiah, where God delivers Jerusalem from the Assyrian army, from, from Sennacherib. Uh, in, in that account, the defenders all, they come and they behold, they look over the city walls and they see all of their slain enemies. God has defended Jerusalem. 
They see that deliverance that came uh, in, in the morning. They saw the victory that God won. Uh, and similarly, the psalmist invites us to behold the victory that God will win. He will bring desolations on the earth. And what will these desolations consist of? Verse 9. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So here God is presented as this this military victor. His name in verse 11 is Sabaoth, or Lord of hosts. Uh, Quite literally it means Lord of armies. And he's so the, he's this, this mighty warrior king who, who comes and fights and defends his people. Remember the opening uh, line of the psalm. It states that not only that God is our refuge, but also that God is our strength. And so this is an aspect that uh, we don't always dwell upon as, as Christians. But it's true that, God pre- that uh, scripture presents God as, as a warrior, In fact, after being delivered from the Egyptians, the Israelites sang a song about how God is a man of war or a warrior. And as a warrior, he comes and he disarms his enemies and subdues them so that there is peace. And then the Lord himself speaks in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is is a, a victory pronouncement. Now, there are two ways that uh, this can be understood. I'm sure most of us have seen the words, be still and know that I am God, uh, maybe on a a nice fridge magnet uh, with a pleasant and a tranquil scene in the background. And if you were to say these words, it might sound like, be still and know that I am God. Uh, And that's one way that these words can be understood. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that, the sense uh, of, of that meaning. However, in the context, I'm persuaded that God here is primarily speaking to his enemies, telling them to be still. And so God is, is subduing and disarming his enemies, so it's a forceful and it's, a, it's an effective be still. It's said in the context of his enemies being put under his feet. In the New Testament, we see that Christ is this warrior king who will subdue the nations. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes how to Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Luther, in in his hymn that we sang earlier, identifies Christ as this this, uh, Sabbath, this uh, Lord of hosts, this Lord of armies. And Christ causes all of his enemies to be still. Every knee will bow to Christ We either bow now as his humble servants awaiting his return, or we will bow as his enemies awaiting judgment. Revelation 19 depicts Christ returning on a white horse leading his armies, leading the hosts of heaven to judge the nations. So that this scene in the third stanza of Psalm 46 will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns to gather his church and to judge both his and our enemies. Christ has already won the victory on Calvary by his blood. He has already defeated our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We simply await that final consummation where he will uh, wrap everything up. He will bring all things to completion. But in his mercy, he has delayed his coming 
so that all of his elect might be gathered in to himself. In his mercy, before he will judge the nations, he has established his church and set his church as a a city on a hill, a light, to call the nations to bow down before him. So that Christ is not only the coming conquering king, but he is also our refuge from judgment. There is no fee to enter this city of refuge. All who enter do so by faith alone, in Christ alone. And all who run to Christ will find refuge, both in this life and in the life to come. Psalm 46 was one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. When trouble came, he was known to say, Come, let us sing Psalm 46. It's on Psalm 46 that he, of course, based his his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. In this hymn, Luther declares his his confidence, his trust in God in the midst of opposition. As Christians, we wait eagerly uh, with anticipation for the day of the Lord when all things will be brought into submission uh, under Christ. Then we will have final relief from trials, from indwelling sin, from the world and the devil. Until then, we wait as suffering pilgrims crying, Maranatha. As we wait, we're not guaranteed to be free from all of the trials and troubles of this life, but we are promised spiritual sustenance and sustainment through the trials of this life. And we are promised final and an ultimate deliverance and the cessation of all evil and striving when our glorious Lord returns. And so, with the church in all ages, we cry, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord of armies, you are our only refuge and strength in times of trouble. Grant us faith like the psalmist to approach you boldly with our cares and our worries. And grant us faith to believe your promises that we might find refuge in you and thus receive your comfort and your sustaining grace. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.